I'll mention this in a minute. But please take your copy of God's Word and let's turn together to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter. Just so you know, um, we're not going to leave this section of your Bibles starting next week. The, the other pastors will be taking up Second Peter and Jude. We, as we kind of thought about the preaching schedule this summer, we, we kind of realized we, we might not get to this portion of your Bible again. So let's go ahead and move through the other letter from Peter. Uh, as well as this short letter uh, called Jude, so that we might have a sense of what God has for us here in the, the back part of our Bible. Uh, and so uh, we're finishing First Peter this morning, but we'll pick up with Peter again next week uh, with Second Peter 1, the first 15 verses. But here in this chapter, um, Peter is concluding this, this, this theme that we've been tracing out. Um, we kind of call these studies... How then shall we live? And hopefully you've seen each week that Peter's focused quite practically on the the difference that the gospel makes in our daily living. And so after rejoicing in the living hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Peter has told us what it looks like to live out of hope. He's shown us what it looks like to live as exiles in this world, Um, what it's like to live in a hostile world. Last time, what it's like to live with, with, with the end in view, knowing that, that judgment is coming and the end is near and Christ is soon returning, his glory will be revealed. This morning, as I've already suggested and we've seen through the theme that's worked its way through our service, uh, we're going to hear what Peter has to tell us as, as he encourages us to live as, as God's flock. In many ways, he brings us back to what it is to live as the people of God. To live as those who are the sheep of his pasture. Well, if we are God's flock, that means we have shepherds. And we'll see how that is this morning as the Holy Spirit helps us. Why don't we ask him for his help? Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do ask you for your help. It's a great joy to be able to come week by week and to work our way through sections of Scripture um, to, to recognize that sometimes the, the pointed passage for the day hits us right between the eyes. Other times it, we wonder, what in the world is that for us? What, how does this connect with my life? And yet at each point, you, you portion out a, a part of your word as we work through things consecutively. And, and you show us the wonder and beauty of, of Holy Scripture. And so, Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would come and that you would open our eyes of faith this morning, that we might see great riches in this portion of the gospel. Help us to see how it is you designed your people to get to heaven safely. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, 
with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it was September 2016 uh, when y'all actually called me to be your senior pastor. Um, Sarah and the kids and I came on the one weekend in September. I think it was the third weekend of September, the following weekend. Um, Y'all voted me to be your senior pastor. I think there was one no vote, which was good. Um, I always, I tell my students, be nervous if it's unanimous. Um, So there it was, but you called me uh, as your pastor, for which I am so, so grateful. Um, Shortly after that, Chuck Halford, who was the chairman of that search committee, gave me this. Um, It's a a shepherd's staff that he actually made from some, um, from a branch uh, on his property. Um, Chuck cared for sheep back in 2016. He told me after the earlier service, he he still has those sheep. Uh, And he actually used this staff as a shepherd's staff. He would, sometimes the baby sheep would get down in places and he would use it and pull them out. And and he gave it to me uh, back almost seven years ago now to remind me um, that when God called me here through your election, he called me here for a very specific task. Um, That task wasn't necessarily to deliver inspiring sermons, although I do hope periodically you're inspired. And um, that task wasn't necessarily to make the trains run on time and um, make sure the staff is well managed, although I do see that as part of my job and I get a little anxious when the trains don't run on time. Um, But but really, the, the staff, which sits in my office, is there to remind me that my task is to be a shepherd. My, my, my task, my calling, is to be a shepherd. As an elder in Christ's church, that's, that's what I'm called to do. Not just me, um, but the other pastors, the other elders here in this church. That's, that is, in fact, our task. And if we are called to be shepherds, then that means y'all are sheep. And as, as sheep, there are certain things that, that shepherds can tell us about sheep that that look a little bit like us as God's people. For example, sheep require constant care. 
It's not as though you can deal with a sheep one day and then forget about them for several weeks or months. No, no sheep require constant care. Sheep, they don't like change. And in that regard, sheep and Presbyterians are basically the same kind of people. Um, I've often said that the 11th commandment of Presbyterianism is we've always done it this way and we've never done it that way. So don't break that commandment. But, but that's true for sheep as well. They, they don't like change. Um, sheep can't defend themselves. Uh, they can't defend themselves from predators. They, they can't even defend themselves from basic maladies like worms or other things. They, they need a shepherd to protect them. Um, likewise, sheep tend to wander off and can get themselves in all sorts of messes, can get themselves stuck. I don't know if you've seen that, that TikTok video that makes its rounds on all sorts of social media of the, of the sheep that's stuck in the ravine and, and the shepherds pull the sheep out and the sheep takes three bounces after he gets out of the ravine, bounce, 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 back in the ravine. Um, that's what sheep are. Um, they tend to get themselves in messes and they get themselves stuck and and so do we, and there's countless other things is God's flock, uh, where we are just like sheep. And so, as, as shepherds, as elders in Christ's church, um, we're, we're actually called to care for God's people in just these ways. And it's striking to me that, it, that at this point in Peter's letter, when, when he's, he's trying to wrap it up, he says he's exhorted his people briefly. Uh, you heard that at the end. Now, he moves to think about his role as an elder and the, the elder's role to whom he's writing is that of caring for sheep, of being shepherd of sheep. I, I say it's striking because he's just finished telling us in the previous section um, not to be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, comes upon you to test you. Um, in fact, perhaps somewhat strangely, he told us to rejoice, to be glad, um, to be glad because we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ, but also to be glad because these, these trials won't last forever. And the section, as you notice, the previous section that we looked at last week ends with chapter 4, verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So he's, he's talking about suffering. He's telling us to rejoice. He's, he's telling us to entrust ourselves to, the, to our faithful God, our faithful creator who will care for us. But then he moves directly from that suffering to this little word that begins chapter 5, verse 1. You see it? So... Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, as a result of this, I exhort the elders among you. In other words, because of this fiery trial, because of this suffering and difficulty and persecution, the only way we're going to make it through all of that is if we have shepherds. Is if we have elders who will care for us in the midst of the fiery trials, in the midst of the difficulty. Listen, the only way you're going to make it to heaven safely is not if you have awesome podcasts or the, the next best Christian book. It's not even going to be because you have fellow travelers, although that's certainly the case. God's community is vital. But what's vitally important, Peter's telling you, for you to get to heaven safely 
so that you make it all the way to the end of your pilgrim's progress is it for you to have faithful shepherds, faithful elders who will care for you, who will direct you, who will feed you God's word, who will point you over and over again to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd of us all. That's the only way you're going to get to heaven safely. That's what Peter's trying to tell you this morning. And that means that we need to ask certain questions as we work our way through this passage. What should our role as elders be, as as pastors, as shepherds of God's flock? How should God's people as his sheep, as his flock, how should they respond to their shepherds? How should they respond to their elders? What, What dangers remain for us? What, what adversaries might we have? Why is it that we need protection from elders? It, is there any assurance for us that as we make our way through this world, this world of woe, that we will actually get to the promise of eternal life? What assurance do we have that that's the case? Those, those questions are questions that Peter wants to answer for us as he shows us what it means to live as God's flock, to to live as, as God's people. And so first then he, he tells us and he speaks to us of shepherds. And, and he does so particularly in the first four verses of this section. There's a great deal in verses one to four that's striking, but, but perhaps the most significant thing here is that Peter doesn't separate himself from these, these elders to whom he's writing. Contrary to our Roman Catholic friends, Peter doesn't present himself here as the first great bishop. He doesn't present himself as the first pope who has heightened authority over the other apostles and other elders in this line of bishops that all descend from Peter himself. He doesn't do that at all. No, look at what he says. Verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He sees himself as one among many, one among brothers, among a plurality, if you will, of elders. Now, certainly, he has a unique role as an apostle. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. He's a witness to Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. He has a particular role in establishing the gospel before the scriptures are finalized in their final canonical form. All that is true. And yet, Peter presents himself as a, as a fellow elder and drawing upon his own sensibility and experience and the teachings of Christ as an elder in Christ's flock, Peter describes his ministry in a particular way. Look at verse 2. So I exhort the elders among you, he says, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. If you were going to try to put in one word what an elder does, an elder shepherds. An elder provides constant care for the sheep. He he watches over them. He seeks them when they've wandered off. He, He protects them. And particularly he uses God's word as the means by which he does these things. Was there a particular scene in which... Peter experienced this commissioning to be a shepherd? Well, I think so. It's the only way, really, we can understand why Peter brings up this shepherding metaphor. 
After all, Peter um, was from a fishing family. Likely his father was a fisherman, his grandfather was a fisherman, and Peter too is a fisherman. But here he speaks of shepherding, and I think he has a particular scene in mind. You you remember at the end of John's Gospel, which we just finished a a few weeks ago, there in John 21, uh, Peter has gone back to fishing, and several of his colleagues go fishing with him. They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. There's a voice on the beach that says, friends, have you caught anything? No, nothing at all. Well, throw your net over to the right side of the boat, and and perhaps you might catch something. And of course they do, 153 large fish. John recognizes the voice, remember. It's the Lord. Peter jumps in with all his clothes on, swims 100 yards to the shore. There Jesus has breakfast waiting for them. They eat together, and then Peter and Jesus go for a walk, you remember. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, what? Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. This one whom Jesus loves and who professes his love for Jesus is recommissioned, not as a fisherman, but as a shepherd, but a a shepherd of a particular kind, not not shepherding sheep like other Palestinian shepherds. No, he is a a elder. He's a pastor. He's He's a shepherd, and he has a ministry to feed and to take care of Jesus's people, not Peter's people. He has a call to take care of Jesus's people, Jesus's sheep. I think all that's in in Peter's mind here. And helps us understand why he connects shepherding, being an elder, with shepherding, and shepherding with exercising oversight. Overseeing or or feeding or exercising care for the sheep, that's the ministry of elders in Christ's church. And, And there's a particular manner in which this ministry is to be carried out. You see that in verse 3. So Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, verse 3, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You see, the manner of this ministry is that those who, who serve as elders those who serve as shepherds, those who care for God's people, they should do it willingly. They should do this ministry eagerly. They should carry out this ministry exemplarily. But, but those descriptions, eagerly, willingly, exemplarily, they're actually the ways in which Peter described Jesus back in chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. There at the end of chapter 2, verse 25, Peter said that Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so by connecting Jesus as the shepherd with these elders who are shepherds and connecting these character qualities of eagerly, willingly, and and exemplarily uh, with Jesus, he's trying to say, look, the character of Jesus should typify the way your elders shepherd. Because, of course, Jesus is the true shepherd and overseer. Peter's going to call him, in verse 4, the chief shepherd. 
And as such, he's, he's the example of one who did not count the cost of his service. He willingly, freely, eagerly went to the cross to suffer, to give himself away. He, he's the one who is our example. Remember, he's the, the pattern, the, the alphabet that we trace our lives upon. It's in his footsteps that we walk in his, we walk in his steps. Jesus is that one. But, but Peter is saying, well, just as Jesus was, so your elders are to be. Certainly, we all as Christians should have a certain kind of character. But, but if there's any doubt on what that Christian character looks like, any doubt about what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, you should be able to look at your elders and say, oh, that's what it looks like when the Holy Spirit changes someone, not just in terms of the, the fruit of the Spirit that we know, love, joy, peace, but also in terms of patience or long-suffering or gentleness or self-control. Certainly we're all to be that way, but, but your elders above all, because of course they are patterned upon Jesus himself. And that's why I think Peter tells us under shepherds that we actually serve under a chief shepherd. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So to the elders among us, um, I wonder this morning, do you, do you see your ministry in this way? That, that your task is, is to not simply function as a board of governance, although there is a governance portion to being an elder in Christ church. We deal with budgets, we deal with personnel things, all that's true. But, but do you see your ministry as, as that of caring, of coming alongside of pursuit and especially of, of ministering with, with God's word in such a way that people see Jesus in you as you minister to them. And, and church, are these the kind of elders that you want? Are, are these the kind of elders that you are looking for? The, the kind of pastors and shepherds you, you demand? We're coming up here in just a few weeks. We'll be announcing the, the, the ruling elder candidates who will be on the, the ballot that we'll see in, at our annual meeting in August. I think it's August 20th. And as you think about electing elders to shepherd God's people here, are you looking for these kind of men? These kind of men who, are, who do this work eagerly and willingly, who exemplarily, they, they, they actually have traced their lives upon the very character of Christ. Are, are you looking for those who are going to minister to you with God's word as you're struggling with sin or struggling with suffering or sorrow, whatever it may be? Or are you looking for other kind of elders? Listen, if you have the wrong kinds of elders here, you, you're going to go to the wrong places. The elders that, that Peter's talking about are the ones who will get you to heaven safely because they're constantly pointing you to Jesus Christ. They're, they're telling you of, of Jesus' great love for you, his concern for you. They're taking the Holy Scriptures and giving that to you. That's how you get to heaven safely. There's other kinds of elders, which he describes here. He'll lead you to Bypath Meadow. They'll lead you to Doubting Castle. 
They'll lead you into various byways that'll, that'll, that'll take you away from the celestial city, not get you to heaven safely. These are the kind of elders that, that we should look for and desire because these are the elders that God delights to give to his flock, that the chief shepherd delights to give to his people. Of course, if, if these are shepherds, then Peter has something to say about us as sheep and, and the role that we play vis-a-vis our, uh, our shepherds. How, how do we as God's people, how do we as God's sheep, his flock, his, the, the sheep of his pasture, how do we respond to our elders? How, do we, how should we respond to our shepherds? Well, Peter tells us in verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now that is an interesting verb. We've seen that verb before, be subject to. Um, it showed up multiple times in chapter two, from chapter 2, verse 11 to chapter 3, verse 7. So we all as Christians are to be subject to the government. Slaves are to be subject to their masters. Wives, subject to their husbands. Now we as God's people, subject to the elders. In other words, we're to line ourselves up behind the elders. We're to get in line, follow their lead. When they're going in a direction, we, we, we follow after them. Well, that, sometimes that's hard. After all, we're sheep. Um, sometimes we don't want to follow our shepherds. We want to wander over here and wander over there. What's required for us as God's people to line up behind our elders, our shepherds, our pastors, and follow them? Well, Peter tells us humility. Humility toward our elders especially, but, but also humility toward one another. Did you see it? He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, line yourselves up behind them, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. Now that, that language in verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. That's pretty evocative language. Clothe yourselves or, or tie on to yourselves humility. There was a, a, a time where Peter saw that acted out before him. Do you remember? In John chapter 13, there in the upper room, after Jesus and his disciples had had their meal, Jesus takes off his outer clothes, and he takes the towel, the serving towel, the servant's towel, and he ties humility around him. He clothes himself with humility. And he, the teacher, begins to wash his disciples' feet. Well, as you know, he gets to Peter. Peter wants none of that. Lord, you can't wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter being Peter says, all right, well, give me a bath. Wash me completely. And Jesus corrects him. But then after he's done, Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You should also wash one another's feet. I have set you, there it is, an example that you should do as I have done for you. You should trace your life on this example. I think Peter's remembering that night. And he's saying, just like Jesus did, just like Jesus tied on clothed himself with that humility, you do the same. 
Set aside your rights and set aside your demands. Set aside your fears and anxieties. Trust your leaders. Trust your elders. Line yourself up under them. Of course, such, such humility to our elders and toward one another, it has to flow from our humility towards God. Peter says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. What's required for such humility towards God and others? Well, ultimately, an understanding that we're not sufficient. We can't carry our burdens by ourselves. We, we don't have enough wisdom by ourselves. We can't do this ministry by ourselves. But also... The humility to be able to say, I don't know everything. I don't know everything. I can't know everything. There are times where the elders have to do certain things, and I can't know everything that they know. And so when I don't understand what is happening, or I might even disagree, or perhaps they might actually do something foolish, even in those times, I'm not going to allow my anxieties to overflow in such a way I get out of line. Rather, as Peter is telling us, I'm going to cast my anxieties on God. I'm going to throw them on him. I'm going to take my burdens, my fears, and my worries and concerns, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw them on God. I'm going to let them go. Why does that make sense? Why, why does it make sense to actually take our fears and anxieties when we see our elders perhaps even doing something foolish? Why does it make sense to throw it on God? Well, Peter tells us it's because he cares for you. He cares for you. He, he actually loves you. He loves you as an individual, and he loves this church. He loves you collectively. He loves his flock. This isn't Sean's church, not Robert's church, not, Peter, not Parker's church, not the elder's church. This is Jesus' church. And Jesus loves this church more than I ever will. It's his church. He loves you. You can trust him that even through the folly of men, God's wisdom will be displayed. You see, as sheep, it's, we want to scatter. We want to, we want to be anxious. We, want to, we, want, we don't like change. We, we're, we need to be protected. And we can trust the Lord. We can cast our anxieties upon him, even though there are adversaries wandering about. In fact, God loves you so much, he will protect you from the adversary and he'll actually use these clay-footed men called shepherding elders to do that. Peter tells us that after reminding us that God cares for us, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, he says in verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be sober-minded, be, be, be clear-thinking, and be watchful. Why? Because the adversary is out there. The devil is out there. He wants to destroy. Now, I've already mentioned two scenes from Peter's life where I think he was reflecting upon his experience with Jesus as he writes these words. And I think there's a third scene here. There's a particular time where the adversary nearly destroyed Peter. It's described in Luke 22 in Gethsemane and at Caiaphas' house. There in Luke 22, Jesus had sternly warned Peter that Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. 
And that before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And then they go to the the garden, remember? And Jesus told Peter and the other disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Matthew's gospel has it. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. But temptation, trial, it comes. And Peter fails to watch. He fails to pray. And Satan sifts him as wheat as he denies Christ three times. He falls to the adversary, and he's nearly eaten up. He's nearly destroyed. And perhaps that's in in the background here, as he he warns these elders and and this church to which he's writing. He's saying, be watchful. There's a real adversary. The devil wants to destroy you. What does he do? How How does the devil go about to destroy? Well, he'll try to destroy you through seduction. Uh, not simply sexual seduction by, by someone else. No, he'll try to seduce you with, with money, with, with the way things are, with the, the power and prominence that we know. With, he tries to seduce you with the East Memphis way of living, of going over here and these school activities and, and these um, networks that I'm part of and these civic organizations. And before we know it, we're far away from the path of following Jesus. And what's happened? The, the devil seduced us. Or, or perhaps the devil tried to destroy you through diversion. He'll try to divert you from the path. He'll try to divert you with the promotion at work. Or, or perhaps you decide you're going to go into business for yourself and, and all of the joys and sorrows that go with that. Or, or perhaps he'll try to divert you from, from some kind of position at your kid's school or, or from a new opportunity, or perhaps, a, perhaps a new place to live, perhaps a, a lake house or a beach house or whatever it may be. All of these good things, by the way, all of them. And yet, the devil can certainly take good things to seduce us or to divert us in order to destroy us. If you've read screw tape letters, you know that's the case. The devil would far rather work that way as opposed to bringing out the big guns of attacking you. And yet the devil certainly would attack, and that I think is what Peter's describing in the next verses. Opposition for Christ's sake, the times of trial and suffering and difficulty that come for the gospel's sake. That's why he says in verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In these last verses, Peter returns one last time to this twin theme of suffering and glory. The adversary will try to destroy you through suffering and opposition and trial, but he cannot win. And he will not win because you belong to the God of all grace. You're part of his flock. You're part of his people. You're a sheep under his care. And because you are under his care and you're called by his power, you are heading to eternal glory in Christ. And because that's the case, we hope for and long for being, as he says, restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. Certainly, that'll happen at the last day. In the new heavens and the new earth and the resurrection of the blessed. And that day we will be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. But there's an element in which that happens now, too, as we've come to Christ. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is a sense in which we we know a taste now of what we'll experience then. But how do we get there? How do we get from now 
to then? Well, through shepherds, through elders, who under Christ, the chief shepherd, continue to point us to Jesus over and over again. Because friends, my, my great hope is that you will make it to heaven safely. You will prove to be in the end true saints who persevere all the way to your dying day, who don't get all diverted and seduced into various bypath meadows and doubting castles, but that you make your way safely to the celestial city to be received by the great king of glory so that you might see him and you might finally receive your reward, which is nothing less than a sight of the chief shepherd. Won't that be glorious? I want you to get there. The other elders in this place, they want you to get there. Let's get there together. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we bless you for your great kindness that you, like a, she like a shepherd, lead us. And you lead us all the way to heaven. You lead us uh, and chase us there with goodness and mercy and so that we will dwell in your house forever. Lord, we long to get safely to heaven. Lord, grant us this grace in this place so that you might use the ministry of the word, sacrament, and prayer in our lives in ways that bring you honor and glory, but above all, in ways that bring us safely to your keeping. Grant us this, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals. Let's turn together to number 599, Savior.